Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to The Game Changer, sponsored by Traveling to Give, a smart trip tool that helps you leave a legacy with every visit to your facility or your events. Let's join the interview now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to The Game Changer. We have been talking actually for a couple of months now about the topic of selling and partially because we are in such challenging times right now. And it's also a great time if you are struggling with selling uh, during the, the COVID crisis that you actually can drop back and think about how you are selling. So we have been selecting authors that really fit into that premise, people who are changing the game. And we have got a guest today who is called the ROI guy. And I love return on investment. I'm an investor uh, in some companies, uh, including my own company. Uh, and that is uh, obviously important to new investors, which we are, of course, uh, always trying to attract in our business. Our guest today is Tom Pasello, and Tom has written uh, more than one book, but the one that we're going to be talking about today is Evolved Selling, Optimizing Sales Enablement in the Age of Frugalnomics. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Chicky. Great to be here at The Game Changers. Well, Tom, one of the things that I always like to begin with is people actually hearing your backstory. Mm -hmm. We're going to be uh, spending the rest of our time today talking about the book itself, but really tell us about, about you. And you can start at any moment in time. I, I guess we can go all the way back to the ape stage, which is on your front of the book. <laughs> Exactly. So I got into selling. I have a technical background, so I didn't start off my career as a seller, but I feel like I did at the same time. So parallel to my technical career, I started selling newspapers door to door. Uh, I got a real estate sales license even when I had my first job as a technologist. So selling has been in my blood and my dad was a seller for a paper company. Uh, back in the day. So he taught me how uh, great a career it could be, uh, as well as some of the, the uh, relationships that you have to build. He was definitely a star of the three martini lunch back in the day. <laughs> and he would take me on a lot of the sales calls and relationship building and everything else. So while I was building my technical career, I always had this sales mindset. And I think that's what drove me to be an entrepreneur overall was kind of combining those two things. But overall, I was a, a, a technical graduate in electrical engineering, started my career in simulation systems and developing user experience, training wow. fighter, fighter pilots and F-14s, which was an incredible experience. Got to uh, crash a simulator into an aircraft carrier many, many times and realized how talented those superstar pilots are. No kidding. And then, and then started to develop uh, different product lines and uh, eventually got into trying to make those product lines easier and easier to sell for my enterprise sales teams. And that led to a career in developing sales tools to make 
selling easier. Uh, And one of those sales tools was in financial justification. So how do you convince an executive who doesn't want to sign off on a deal uh, and a CFO that's got a budget freeze on or a COVID committee, which we're faced with today, how do you convince them that there's a good fiscal prudence in uh, adopting the solution that you're pitching as a seller. Now, there's a lot more, and I've, I've since learned that there's, you know, the logic of financial justification is only one piece of making a decision. But uh, at the time, I became kind of the ROI guy out of those efforts and developed a company that built return on investment, total cost of ownership modeling tools, sold that to Gartner, Uh, successfully, and then went on to build another company doing the same thing, and then merged that most recently with sales enablement platform company Mediafly out of Chicago two years ago. So excellent career in kind of helping sellers and marketers communicate and quantify value better, and uh, as well as serial entrepreneur. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm pretty sure that we are like brother and sister of another mother because uh, <laughs> there's so, so many parallels. Uh, and I'm, I'm married to a sales guy and we just celebrated 30 years and I keep hoping his love for sales will rub off on me. Right. <laughs> and he is the ultimate relationship. Guy. And it's funny that you talk about the ROI side of things and the tools because I was telling him last night, he's been, uh, he sells large equipment uh, mm-hmm. to cities and counties, and we live here in Tampa, and he sells the city of Tampa, and he's trying to sell them 14 garbage trucks, right? Yeah. And, and uh, they have a whole fleet of his trucks, but again, monies are tight, and yeah. uh, they, they put a new truck in service, and Tampa didn't like the way it looked, and it's like, Really? Do you think the <laughs> residents of the city of Tampa are actually looking at the aesthetics of your truck? Uh, but at the end of the day, they they made some modifications to this truck that caused fuel efficiency that blew them away. And I said, well, you need a tool to show them that. So we'll have Absolutely. to talk offline about that because he needs that today. <laughs> anyway, so um, let's talk about how you go from like engineering to being an author, right? Where, where did the book ideas come from and, and how did you get to the place where you actually started publishing? Yeah, I, I wanted to capture a lot of the ideas and methodologies that I was putting in place and um, my customers really inspired me to write it. I had so many good customer stories and you know successes along the way, as well as failures and challenges that mm-hmm. I needed to get it down. And to me, writing has always been therapeutic. Um, I um, write poetry. Uh, I'm also a musician and um, a hack of a musician. Let's let's put it that way. But (laughs) I've always had that creative element as well. And so for me, it was a therapeutic way to gather my thoughts, which can as an entrepreneur often be sparking in a million directions. And, And I kind of use writing to funnel that energy and focus that energy. And the book was a great way to capture all of these great stories, as well as to focus all of the great thoughts that had come from those collaborations with customers into a methodology that other people could hopefully follow and learn from. Right. Well, you know, and you're also an amazing storyteller. So Uh, All of those things combined make a great book. And uh, I'm always a sucker for a cover. And I love the, you know, the evolution uh, 
image on, on the cover of the book. It helps you understand and frame the evolution of sales. But uh, one of the things I absolutely adore about your book, and I'm a sucker for layout, is mm -hmm. you've got just the, whoever your designer was of, of your book. It's just beautiful. And beautiful isn't, you know, uh, flowery beautiful. It is the clarity of simplicity right and and just even the visual nature of it um yeah, I, I let thought. me yeah chicken let me talk about that a little bit first of all shout out to taylor davenport who's been with me gosh for eight years now i think uh as uh, my creative designer and visual at at my company so he does everything from application development and designing the tools those those financial justification tools we do for right. clients along with helping me with all my marketing and, and design the book it was purposeful. Um, when we look at decision making, and this is kind of the advancement that I learned maybe eight to 10 years ago, I got interested in the neuroscience of decision making. And there's a lot of incredible studies out there. And when you start to understand how people make decisions, you realize that a portion of it is logical. The ROI has to make sense. But as you mentioned with your husband, with Tampa and the garbage truck, there's also an emotional piece to it. And emotions uh, are often connected with our visual system and our visual system is there to help protect us and help to interpret the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And aesthetics and things like that make a big difference in terms of how we learn and how we connect with information. And so the visual nature of the book, it is as much a picture book with simple icons and diagrams and drawings, gosh, there's gotta be hundreds of them throughout the, throughout the text. And it is purposeful. It is there so that you remember the messages we're trying to get across and it reinforces it. So when I talk about a success story, there's a picture of that person in the success story looking right back at you. When we talk about a concept, let's say, or Aristotle, which this all, by the way, goes back to Aristotle's pathos, logos, ethos, which is emotion, logic and trust, which maps to the three buy buttons in the brain, which mm -hmm. is your new brain, uh, which is the logic part and your neocortex, the, the conscious part of our brain. But there are other parts of the brains that make decisions. And that's the reptilian or the primitive part of the brain with logos and emotion, and then the middle part of the brain with trust. But basically what we wanted to do was we wanted to convey all of this and information. So when we talk about logos, pathos, ethos, we want to have a picture of Aristotle. When we talk about how discovery needs to be based on not general questions of what's keeping you up at night, but, but questions that are going to get them, the customer to realize that they have an issue and start to question themselves, we need to have a picture of Socrates to reinforce that this is Socratic questioning. And so the, right. the visual nature of the book was very purposeful. Well, well done. Uh, so Thank let's you. just jump right in. And, mm -hmm. you know, I love that you begin the book talking uh, about B2B sales because mm -hmm. my company, uh, while we are in the travel technology business, we don't sell to consumers. We mm -hmm. plug in our capabilities into the sites and systems that people use every day, like a CRM platform or a calendaring platform or uh, content or contact management systems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll tell you what, my biggest struggle in launching this company wasn't the technology. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that was actually the easy part. And we've got a, a very mature uh, platform and system, including 
uh, a revenue predictor tool that we built right into the com- uh, into the product because we knew that salespeople would need that. Mm-hmm. But the challenge has been on the B2B sales side, finding sales reps uh, who really know B2B sales and how do you mo- motivate people to do something when it's not their end user or you know their client, but it's their ultimate end user that's mm-hmm. actually benefiting from the product. So let's talk about is the B2B sales rep dead? Yeah, there uh, was studies uh, about five years ago that predicted by 2020 that the B2B sales rep as a profession would be highly changed and that uh, one in five sellers would be out of a job. Now, I think as we look out at the landscape, that job market has certainly changed and Mm -hmm. the old school transactional B2B seller has indeed been replaced and even in an accelerated way by e-commerce. Buyers are much more comfortable researching solutions on their own. Uh, There's a lot of information on the web they can find from your website, your competitor's website, the peers, and and their ordering is easy. You know, they can download the solution, try it out, press a button and subscribe, and they're good to go. Uh, What do they need a seller for? So if you've got a transactional product or they were just a transactional seller and they weren't adding any more value than what you could do with a web search, uh, they've gone the way of the dodo bird. Right. But if you, we look at the overall count of the number of sellers, I would argue that it's increased. Now, maybe there's more inside sellers now versus outside sellers. And right now, everyone is an inside seller. Maybe there's more different types of roles like customer success, where you're now in the renewal sales business as opposed to newer sellers. So just like in real estate, where technology dramatically changed what a real estate agent would do, where they were the exclusive owners to the listings before, and you couldn't even find out the price of a house unless you had an agent. Um, Now there's a democratization of information. The real estate agent is an advisor. They're a consultant. They have pocket listings and exclusive knowledge and and insights. They help you to determine what the best price is. They stage homes and they build consensus if there's partners who are buying a house between those partners. So the consensus amongst a buying committee, which I'm sure you face. And they also just help facilitate the entire decision-making and purchase process because they know all the steps. They've done hundreds of transactions. You buy a house maybe once in a lifetime if you're lucky two or three times in a lifetime, but you don't know what the process is. It's foreign (laughs) to most of us, right? Let's pause for a commercial break. You've been listening to The Game Changer, sponsored by Travelling to Give. For more information about our smart event tools that give back with each trip, visit travelingtogive.com. So, What does a good seller do nowadays is they diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate DPF. And the ones that are excelling are the ones that do that better than any others. If you just go in and pitch, uh, pitch a product, pitch a service, talk about the features, talk about the functions blindly, like which still so many sellers do, you know, they, they get a hot prospect on the line and they fire up their PowerPoint in their Zoom meeting and gosh, the meeting sucks. You know, (laughs) it's just them walking through the agenda, the all about the company, all about the customers and the growth and all about them. And, you know, the the better seller is um, 
you know, doing a diagnostic with the customer right from the beginning. And it's not right. a passive diagnostic of what's keeping you up at night. It's active. It's telling them stories and giving them experiences of, oh, yeah, I've got, here's a, a, a customer just like yours. You're saying you've got this issue. Here's a customer that had that same exact issue. And by the way, they had these other two issues. Do you have those issues? Right. How are those manifest? Are those costing you a lot of money? What are they costing you? You know, how many people do you have dedicated to that? How many mistakes do those people make accidentally? Mm -hmm. What are those mistakes costing you? Um, you know, are your sellers entering the data in their CRM system? What is it costing you by not having that data in there? And, you know, why, how is that helping you to, to forecast correctly? Are you missing your forecast or is your revenue predictable? So there's all kinds of these questions that need to be asked, then a prescription, and then that facilitation of the journey, which I think is, is brilliant. And unfortunately that's still missing in a number of sellers that I sit in on and meet with. Right. And we call that the value gap. And why we call it that is that customers' expectations have elevated so much nowadays because there's been a democratization of information and because buying is complex and risky within the organization. Think of, think of the buyer, right? Their job oh, is on the line right nowadays. Now. Yeah. yeah. Who wants to make a decision right now? And their job is already at risk. And then they're going to put their, their career on the line by picking your solution. And gosh, it's a project to them. It's not a... A solution. You know, we tend to think of ourselves to them, it's a, a project and a risk, not a solution. Well, how do you turn that around? Well, that's where a pitch doesn't do it. And so the gap is sellers are pitching and buyers are looking for advice and they're looking for uh, solutions to, they're looking for challenges that need to be addressed as a priority. And then once they recognize those challenges, then they're open to solution advice but you've got to connect with them on those challenges. Right. To and I, I love that. And, and in particular, the terminology, um, we're going through, uh, and I really don't like the word pivot because it implies that you're changing direction and you're not going to go back. Mm -hmm. uh, but our company right now, we're doing a short-term pivot uh, where we are focusing in on a specific market, which is the medical facility market and the death care market, because yeah. those are two markets where people are still traveling, right? Yeah. And our, our tool facilitates face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And because we're going to be selling to this, what I call the care category, right? The terms diagnostic and prescription, right, are, are terms that they already know and they understand in the medical context, right? So I think that part of our roadmap to bridging that value gap because our clients aren't out looking for what we offer. They, yeah. It's actually completely outside of their field of vision. And we're trying to bring something that they don't think about, which is the friends and family of a patient showing up to mm -hmm. support the immediate family member. And, and so talk to me a little bit about inspiring and influencing uh, as a part of that evolution, you know, what, what do those mean? Yeah. So inspiring and influencing are really important in particular with what you indicated. Many times when we engage with a buyer, we think that they know the problem that we're trying to solve. And so that's where you jump to, Hey, have I got a solution for you? And then they're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, I, this sounds good. I, I right. like this person, you know, but how, how is this going to help me? And, why am I wasting my time? Well, the big thing there is you got to inspire them with the challenge that you're trying to solve. You have to get it to where 
they own that problem. And if you help them to uncover that problem, even better. They're very connected with you at that point. Uh, how do you get them to own it? Um, you educate them on what research has found, what you've seen at other customers, and then you ask them those Socratic questions. You try to get them to self-realize that they have maybe this issue. Uh, and then once they do, then you've got them at a point where, okay, now we can move them towards ready for change. Otherwise, they'll just stick with do nothing as opposed to advancing to thinking that there might be a solution out there. And so the inspiring is inspiring them around the challenges that need to be solved so they're ready to make a change. And then the influencing part is basically aligning solutions to solve those specific issues and being able to communicate very clearly the value and outcome that they can achieve from the solutions that you're proposing. Right. And, and then, okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, and building trust around that. So not just saying, you know, you've got to connect the dots between the challenge and your solution. You have to clearly articulate the value. And then you've got to provide evidence to them that there are others just like them who have realized those savings and, and have the happily ever after that you're indicating that they can do it. And if you notice from what I've done is there's a little bit of a storyteller's arc, right? Freytag's triangle in that challenge, loss, opportunity, solution, and evidence. Close is the method that we want you to apply through inspiring and influential. Mm -hmm. So then, and you've implied this all along, that there's this interactive component that has to be there, you know, to actually engage them. Yeah, like, exactly. So far, um, you know, there's a lot of communication. And of course, there should be the questioning as well but actually getting them engaged, right? Engagement is, you know, that's the lost art uh, to yeah. me. I, I agree, and it's even harder now that we are all inside sellers. So before, as an account executive, you could go in and to the meeting and you could uh, make eye contact around the room, check the body language around the room. I don't know about you, but I haven't figured out how to get everyone even to show up in a big meeting uh, <laughs> in my toolbar so I can see everyone's video and body language. And most of the time, customers don't turn it on, even if you say, hey, you know, uh, good to see you to a couple of customers to try to get the hint to them to turn it on. So um, you're not seeing them. Uh, you don't have a great whiteboard capability yet to get up to a whiteboard or as one of my favorite sellers, Caitlin Goen, does, she actually hands the, the marker to two of the customers while she's up at the board and they co-create a solution and a diagram. I mean, those things are just not possible. So we tend right. to fall back to the, I'm going to throw up a PowerPoint and you know, show up and throw up to a PowerPoint that's there. So interactive means changing the entire engagement and, and really thinking it through so that we're creating an experience. So we have the storytelling method and we have the content to fuel it. And now we have to think through what is going to be the experience I create in the Zoom meeting that's going to be different. Now that can include a demo, but a demo tends to be one way. That can include a PowerPoint, but again, a PowerPoint tends to be one way. So how do we get it to be interactive? Right. Interactive tools do provide one way to do that. So you could have a questionnaire that you pop up and you walk the customer through it and you press a button and it gives them benchmarks. Here's what you said, but look, here's how what your peers are saying in the exact same industry. 
notice you're spot on, you're, you're mirroring your peers in these three areas, but you said this isn't a challenge for you, yet all your peers are saying it's a challenge. Right. Have, did you solve that or is that not important to you? So you have a dialogue around that interactivity or reimagining a PowerPoint into something that's not linear, but something that may be hierarchical, that may include questions or may include a day in the life drawing of all the customer's challenges and you can click on pieces of it and they animate and they drill you into the problem. So that you're navigating it as you're having a discussion and it's kind of walking you through. So some of this requires some technology. Um, and I don't want to say, oh, well, you have to invest in technology nowadays. You could um, just think through how to create a different experience as the right. first element in the meetings sure. and just don't have it be linear, don't have it be rote, have it be much more creative and collaborative. Fabulous. So um, we're not going to have time to go into detail on the, on the last bit of the book, which is all about intelligence. And some of this does relate to the systems that you use. Mm -hmm. um, but Tom, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do as your day job and how people can follow you or get in touch with you, uh, you know, beyond just reading your books, what's, what's the way they can engage with you? Absolutely. So I am a, uh, the chief evangelist for Mediafly, and I'm also the founder of the Evolve Selling Institute. And all of my writing, uh, podcast interviews, uh, the book and the ability to get a free download copy of the entire book, uh, that's all available via, via evolvedselling.com. So that's where you can find all of the latest research around everything that we talked about today, the book and uh, podcast interviews of different thought leaders and uh, analysts as well. Well, that is fabulous. So we have been talking to author Tom Pasello today on a book called Evolved Selling, Optimizing Sales Enablement in the Age of Frugalnomics. And I guess the next time we talk, we'll talk about Frugalnomics a little you got bit it. more. <laughs> but Tom, it's really been terrific. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, for those of you listening, go out and change your game, evolve your selling, and uh, change, change your output and your impact uh, based on that. Thanks Thank again, Tom. Thank you, Game Changers. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio. Turning the volume up on business.